0: Hey, Eric. Hey, Aaron. Hey, so Face and Hat is now part of the Dialogue
1: podcasting network. Yes, it is.
0: Yeah, it's a new thing that Dialogue, so Dialogue is a magazine.
1: That's right, 50 so, years old.
0: 50 years old. Okay, so they've been doing what for 50 years?
1: Excellent work. Okay. Uh, publishing sociology, theology, fiction, uh, reviews of the literature, poetry, you name it.
0: Okay, and now we're, they're doing a podcasting thing.
1: They are, yeah, they've had a podcast for a little while, and now they are making a family of mormon centric podcasts of high quality Aaron
0: excellent, that's what we strive for I, and um okay, so now we're part of this thing.
1: yes, it is now official, it has been announced, yep, it's on Twitter since we recorded this episode,
0: yeah, so nothing's really changing for us. we're not going to be charging for anything or no, anything like we're that.
1: just going to plug them in yeah. the middle of our conversation, yeah, usually so, more organically than this week, okay. <laughs> Hi, Eric. Hi, how's it going?
0: I'm, I'm excited. Um, what are we talking about today?
1: Um, well, according to the note I'm looking at right here, it says everyone canonizes Philemon.
0: Wow, I have no idea what that means.
1: Yeah, I, I, I bet you don't. <laughs>
0: okay. But it's relevant, I promise. All right, we're talking about um, what on earth, um, what does canon mean, right? And how does it apply? What, can be, what kind of things can be canonized? And we're going to be... I guess maybe starting with um the king himself <laughs> how's that
1: my um my in-laws have invited my sons to visit them this weekend because there is a civil war reenactment happening in Moon bay this week me- weekend all right and um as part of the hard sell my father-in-law has been telling them there will be real guns and cannons and that is not, that hasn't been a big selling point, actually. Yeah, they're not, they're not that impressed. Have you heard one go off before? Like, um, up, up I, close? Not a full-size one, no. Yeah. Little tiny, like, you know, yeah. like the one-foot-long ones. The Have you ever been to,
0: the, been to the Pirate Fair? No, I haven't. Okay, so the Pirate Fair is really cool because they mm-hmm. sail a pirate ship down the, uh, down the bay. Yeah. And then they fire off cannons, and they are mega loud. Yeah. It's probably not what killed King Follett, though.
1: Oh, no, he fell into a well. (laughs) Or actually, I'm not exactly sure if he fell in a well. It says in the Keen Volet Discourse that he, um, oh, I just lost it, was crushed to death in a well. Okay. Like, did the well collapse? Was he just down there and somebody dumped their trash? Did the tectonic (laughs) plates move and and shift? I don't know what happened.
0: That is really interesting. Um, I'm sure there's more story about it somewhere. Yes. Um, that's what's okay, so we're talking about King Follett's discourse that, to start this canonization. That's where we're talk.
1: gonna start, yeah.
0: Right. So it's um it's as I was reading okay, did you read the, the discourse?
1: Yes, it's it's in my hands. I reread it this afternoon.
0: Okay. It's actually not that long. Is no, it's it? pretty short. Yeah.
1: I mean if it were if it were formatted like scripture. Yeah. Um, you know, with every sentence being a verse, perhaps, um, it would be longer. huh. But it you know. It wouldn't be longer than Joseph Smith's history, for instance. It would be shorter than that.
0: Well, this version that I'm reading, which is the one from Joseph Fielding Smith, actually has quite a bit of footnotes. Okay. Um, And it's very, it's it's good. That's the thing about this whole sermon, is that... Um, okay, so if you've never heard of it before, King Follett was this guy, and he died. It was very sad. And they had a funeral.
1: And all we know about him is that Joseph Smith smoked at his funeral. That's pretty much <laughs> oh, really? all anybody remembers. If you were a King Follett descendant out there, we yeah. would love to hear from you. And what, are, what are the family stories about King Follett?
0: Uh-huh. Oh, that sounds great. Um, he smoked at his funeral?
1: He smoked at his own funeral?
0: No, wait, Joseph Smith did? Is that what you said? He spoke. He spoke. He spoke at his funeral. Okay. That would go pretty far against what we know yeah, about, like, <laughs> Emma and, you know. Yeah,
1: Emma was not at the funeral, clearly.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay well, well, anyway. Um, so, okay. So Joseph Smith spoke, spoke at the funeral, okay, and um, gave this sermon. And this sermon is fundamental sure. to what being uh, a Mormon is i would say
1: uh, my copy is from the mormon literature database which has not been updated in 20 years because byu kind of sucks okay they they should be the <laughs> leaders in this field and they have not updated the mormon literature database in 20 years and it's one of i think if i remember correctly seven pieces of mormon literature that it, that they still have on the side that they ever had on the site. okay um so seven one of the seven most um i think in their case not it's not fundamental or important, but like typical like like and not typical in the sense of like normal but typical in the sense of representing the type like this is the best example of this type of thing in mm-hmm. mormon literature in this case a sermon nobody wrote it down no of course not nothing anybody said was written down <laughs> <laughs> or at least not in the moment right yeah
0: when we look at some of the doctrine and covenants sections mm-hmm. right um those were essentially written down right e-
1: essentially well sure i mean they they're, they're writ- They exist in print today. Yeah.
0: Um, What I mean by, like, they were dictated and then written down or they were...
1: Yeah. I mean, I I don't know how consistent... I just learned today something about the revelations, which I hadn't known before. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is going to be relevant to our conversation later. Um, Joseph Smith was very egalitarian with revelation and prophecy and being a prophet. Like, he wanted to share the wealth. He Uh wanted everyone to be prophets. Right. Um, And so we see... In some of the revelations that as many as six different people were working on the editing like Joseph invited other people into this revelatory process to be part of getting the revelations into their correct form okay I get you uh, that's pretty cool so I don't really know what I'm actually really interested in this question now. I, I didn't I, I just always imagine that somebody wrote down what he said and that was kind of it and he yeah. would like correct little things later on but i didn't realize it was more elaborate than that
0: i mean maybe if he had lived um then we would have gotten a more like polished version of this speech okay because the point is that he died three months after this speech was given yes and so the people that were there there were four people that were present um and those people were
1: well i mean there were a lot more than four people present. okay
0: well there are four sets of notes
1: he says the wind blows very hard it'll hardly be possible for me to make you all hear me but, there, yeah, there are four sets of notes. Um, I believe that's correct. Yeah. According to what I have, Willard Richards, Wilford Woodruff, Thomas Bullock, and William Clayton.
0: Right. Some of one, A couple of them took, like, fancy notes, like, in a special shorthand that they understood. Yeah. And then, okay, so, but we don't have the actual transcript, right? We don't have the words. And so what we have instead is, are these uh, summaries of what happened.
1: Okay, why do we care? What well, because of people complain about our microphones, and they should really be complaining about Joseph Smith's recording <laughs> apparatus. That's true. I think that's what you're driving at, right? <laughs>
0: I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's funny.
1: As long as I've broken your train of thought anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, fun fact, the yeah. church is one of the few um, reliable employers for shorthand experts today. Oh, really? What do they use them for? Transcribing all these notes oh. and so
0: forth. Okay, well, that's interesting. Like at meetings and things?
1: Yeah, the meetings and and sermons and various things. There was a a good write-up a few years ago about some exciting journals that have been... I think they were journals that were recently published for the first time and all the new things that church history discovered because nobody had read them in so long. Nobody reads shorthand anymore.
0: God himself was once as... We are now.
1: Oh, okay. You want to get on subject, yeah. (laughs) I do. I want to get on subject. Okay.
0: So God is in this. I'm quoting now from the sermon. Okay. God himself was once as we are now Mm -hmm. and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. That is the great secret. If the veil were rent today and the great God who holds this world in its orbit and who upholds all worlds and all things by his power was to make himself visible, I say... If you were to see him today, you would see him like a man in form, like yourselves in all of the person, image, and very form as a man. For Adam was created in the very fashion, image, and likeness of God, and received instruction from and walked, talked, and conversed with him, as one man talks and communes with another. So.
1: Sounds g- pretty Mormon to me.
0: Very Mormon, right? Yeah. So Lorenzo Snow coined the couplet from this sermon, right? Probably. Which, which is.
1: Um, Man proposes, God disposes. No. <laughs> no, sorry, that's Alexander Pope. Okay. Um, as as uh, I don't remember. I, let's see if I get it in the right order. As man is, God once was, and was. No, wait. As God is, man may be. No, you almost got it. Is, is it? Is God was? Is that the first one? As
0: man is, God once God was. God once was.
1: As God is, man may become.
0: That's right. Yeah. Which is. Look, I'm gonna tell you. This has always been one of the things that's really got me about Mormonism, right? Uh-huh. This particular doctrine has always been one of the hooks that's been ever since I was a kid. Like, as God is, man once was. What? I mean, what does that even mean? Yeah. Or the other way around. As man is God once. See, you gotta get it. You gotta say it right. Yeah. <laughs> as man is God yeah. once was. As God is, man can become. Um. Gordon B. Hinckley famously said about this quote, right, that mm-hmm. he didn't understand it and he didn't know anybody that understood it. You remember that?
1: That was with Mike Wallace, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, that was in the
0: 60 Minutes interview, yeah. right? And um, I've always been a bit humbled by that statement because I always thought it, just the couplet made perfect sense.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um, yeah. maybe it doesn't.
1: Well, I've been talking a lot with my students lately about um, we're, we're finishing a conspiracy unit. Oh, okay, um, and I call it the conspiracy unit to make it appealing But it's really about like logic and good thinking and where do you get good facts? What are good sources? Um, how do you what does it mean to be educated? What does it mean to be able to take in information and arrive at correct conclusions and, and so forth and one of the main points? That I hope kids take away is that the more you know about something the more humble you should be because Knowing makes you capable of understanding how much you don't know. Oh, I've definitely discovered that. Aaron, you're that. a true expert in something. Oh yeah. All right. Do you find <laughs> it at all humbling?
0: It is so humbling. I mean, it's the famous uh, Cheney quote, right? Oh there wait, are, no, Rump, wait. Or was it Rumfeld? I think it's Rumsfeld.
1: If you're going to say what I think you're going to say, yeah, but say what you're going to say. There are known knowns,
0: and there are known yeah. unknowns, and there are unknown knowns, and there are unknown unknowns. <laughs> right. The more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know about what you know.
1: Yeah, and he got a lot of flack for that, but mm-hmm. actually, I think there's some wisdom.
0: Yeah, I think people I think have kind of come around on it, and yeah. like I've said, this was actually a pretty good, pretty good quote. So, mm-hmm. I so I see where you're coming from. I think what you're saying is uh, President Hinckley had been learned enough in the gospel that came to realize that he just that this is actually a really difficult thing to understand.
1: Yeah, it's it, that's the great thing about simply stating something like probably Lorenzo Snow did. Um, but on the other hand, it makes it easy for laymen like you and I to feel overconfident in our knowledge. Right. Because it's simplified, right? Yeah, because it's mean, simple. It's easy to understand. There's the old thing that if you if you wrong.
0: if you rhyme something it becomes um a lot easier. Yes. and more believable.
1: If the glove fits or if the glove doesn't fit, you have to convict. Yeah.
0: Or no, if the uh, acquit, isn't it? Acquit, acquit. I don't yeah. know. I I <laughs> was alive then, Aaron. Yes. yes. And I was old <laughs> enough to be interested, but I wasn't. <laughs> so um there's all so the, the so we we reread the the discourse as we were thinking about this episode and just because it's so interesting, right? It's this fundamental part of Mormonism, yeah. right? Not, not, it's not part of the like the 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 gospel, right? I mean, it's not. This isn't no. the stuff that the missionaries teach on day one. <laughs> no, <laughs> all right. But this is the stuff that is interesting and is kind of about the cosmology right. of of Mormonism, but it's not canon.
1: No, and I think most. I think we could pick out 30 or 40 lines from here and if you pulled people who had been members of the church of jesus christ their entire lives but didn't really think of themselves as scriptorians i think we could get a majority of them just on without any prompting to say that's got to be in the doctrine and covenants
0: right or it's got to be in the book of moses
1: yeah that's or abraham like it's it's canon it is right. scripture yeah i'm sure it is because um one of the things about being a Latter-day Saint, what it means to be a Latter-day Saint, is that there's no point in being a Latter-day Saint. There's no point in being part of a Restorationist Church unless something was restored, and we believe things that other Christians don't believe. That, that's the entire raison d'etre for our faith, right? Is that we are, we've restored something fundamental to God's reality. And, um, and a lot of the stuff that makes us distinct is right here in this discourse.
0: So there's two questions I think that are interesting. The first is, why isn't it canon, Mm -hmm. okay? And the second is, what's canon? So maybe we should do those in the other order. (laughs) What does it mean for something to be canonized in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints?
1: Well, it needs to be done by common consent. Okay. We need to sustain it as a body of the Church, as canon. So it needs to be proposed by someone, and I don't think you or I can do that. I don't know if there's really a set procedure. Um, It's sort of like the impeachment. (laughs) Um, This is the fourth impeachment. Um,
0: The fourth in history, right?
1: Right, and that's enough times that there's precedent, but it's not enough times, and it doesn't happen frequently enough that anybody has a really good sense. There's no routine. There's nothing routine about it. Canonization is like that.
0: How many times do you think things have been canonized in our church?
1: Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, do you have a number? I have a number. You know the right answer? Okay, I know let's, the right let, answer. Let me, let me see how I do. Um, so I'm going to guess that the Book of Mormon and the Bible were assumed to be canon until the first time some of the revelations were canonized and then they were canonized together. That's going to be my guess.
0: April 6, 1830.
1: 1830, the first day. And that first includes day. Some revelations it is also. presumed.
0: I'm reading Wikipedia oh, okay. here, that Bible and Book of Mormon were unanimously 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 accepted as Scripture.
1: Okay, they didn't even ask. It was yeah. just assumed. Okay, I believe that's the case. So I'm going to guess that uh, in the Book of Commandments, I'm, I'm going to guess that in the 18th, or the, sorry, in the 19th century that there were three or four canonizations. Yeah, Three or four for the DNC and one for the uh, Pearl of Great Price which saw a lot of different Versions, And then you get to, like, 78, 81, where stuff is added to the triple... So I'm going to say six. Seven. Ah, so close. Yeah.
0: And you're right in the sense that um, the DNC wasn't accepted in waves, right? Mm-hmm. So parts of the DNC, like DNC 20... Right was kind of the in the first conference of the church was added, then five years later in thir- eighteen thirty-five, there were a few revelations added, right, and then Pearl of Great Price as one unit in ni- in eighteen eighty, and so forth. Okay. Yeah. And then the official declarations. Right. So seven times, and it says uh, go look under Wikipedia under Standard Works, and it talks about it. So, so is it
1: just Standard Works is the. Yeah, there's a we own that phrase. We own the phrase standard. Yeah, wiki slash standard underbar works. Parentheses, Latter Day. Nope, it's just just standard standard works. works. We got it.
0: Trademark. Love it. (laughs) So yeah, not very many times has it happened. Yeah. Okay, so the idea is that they read. I believe. Oh. Oh. uh Oh.
1: Compare that to some of the other Latter Day Saint faiths, like the Community of Christ, which is has canonizes things in their DNC much more frequently or a particularly fundamentalist group that sends us their bound revelations to the ward building every couple of years. I have a copy. It is uh-huh. thick. Uh-huh. And it is, there's a story where Joseph Smith told people like, oh, you think anybody can do this? You write a revelation and they tried and they were bad. Mm-hmm. That's what this book is like. Oh, okay. It is, it is not <laughs> well written. Like people can talk about Joseph Smith's revelations being, um, you know, imperfect English, like. Yeah, it could be worse.
0: <laughs> well, the the thing I was reading earlier uh in the King Follett's uh discourse, yeah. that's just great language. I love that language. Oh, I love it. Yeah. One
1: of the reasons I think King Follett isn't um canonized though mm-hmm. is I think there's way too much of Joseph Smith's personality. Hmm. Like you you really get a sense of him as a person. There's one point where he says, "It's not the says, word of God; um, it's the word of Joseph Smith."
0: Where he says, uh, "You can in parentheses, you know, mark this, mark this." Uh, yes.
1: What was it? Um, and he's like, "Could I get, could I get name from the Germans in the audience?"
0: <laughs> yeah. you know, Stuff like that. So yeah. I can, I can see what you're saying. Um, and but th- I think that the real answer, that the reason it hasn't been mm-hmm. canonized, is because we don't have the words. We just have. I think that's a big We part just have me too. the memories. I think that it's, I think it's been too long we don't have the we, and so it's never been presented as scripture to be canonized.
1: and it doesn't look like the other scripture we have. Yeah. I, I mean not just because it's not his words and he didn't edit them, not just because um, it's his personality, but there aren't really very many sermons in latter-day scripture. You get a lot of sermons in the New Testament yeah. in the Book of Mormon, you get yeah. sermons. Um, in the DNC, not really.
0: Hmm. Like, I'm, I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that that would be the reason why it wouldn't be added.
1: Well, I don't think it's. I don't think it's a reason enough on its own. But yeah. I think it adds weight to the reasons not to canonize it.
0: Maybe they just. Okay, maybe so. Let's. We have to think about it. Like, and why wasn't it canonized in the 1850s? Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just didn't want to bother, or maybe they didn't have the notes. So they thought they wouldn't do it. Why hasn't it been canonized now? Because nobody wants to take the time to do it. Perhaps.
1: Well, I think there's a real danger in not canonizing things.
0: Because it's unofficially canonized. Yeah. And that's kind of where it doesn't matter
1: as much. Because, um like I, I assume later okay. we will end up talking about things that maybe we should canonize. I'm gonna propose one right now. Okay. Um I think we should add to the Pearl of Great Price not just the version of the first vision which Joseph Smith polished and really intended for other audiences. I think we should canonize all of them. Um because A, I think they're all true, and I think grappling with them is a difficult thing that we ought to do. But as long as they're merely available, grappling with the different first vision accounts is simply something we can do. If it's canonized, it's something we must do. You can't ignore canon. And as soon as you call scripture canon, canon, scripture, whatever, as long as once we've, by common consent, declared that this goes in the Doctrine and Covenants or the Pearl of Great Price or wherever then we have to consider it. We are under obligation to consider it, and I think that would be good for us. You used
0: the phrase common consent again, so let's define that real quick.
1: Well, I have my doctrine covenants here. (laughs) Okay. I don't know for sure if by common consent is in the index. Um, It ought to be. I do feel, uh, and I'm not an expert in this.
0: There is a Wikipedia article called Common Consent.
1: Oh, maybe I should be looking up common consent rather than by common consent. Yeah, which is the blog is definitely not which is a in blog scriptures.
0: which is also has a Wikipedia article.
1: Yes. Um. So I common I've consent is
0: common consent is the democratic principle established by Joseph Smith, the founder of the Latter Day Saint movement, who taught in eighteen thirty that all things must be done in yep. order and by common consent in the church by the prayer of faith. Yes. And that is DNC twenty eight thirteen.
1: It's also twenty six two. Okay, there you go. So it's a
0: democratic principle, right? And
1: in section 104, also.
0: In practice, it means that they read the revelation in front of the church, and the church sustains it.
1: Right, um, and there are a lot of things that are done by common consent. Every April, we sustain everybody. When there's yeah. a new apostle or whoever called, we do it mm-hmm. by common consent. Um, it used, I and mean, we still in April approve the. Um, oh no, wait, do we? We don't really approve the, the financial statements anymore. They used to be very, very specific. Like the saints were given kind of basically all the financial information of the church and we approved it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've fallen away from that a little bit. Um, but yeah, things should be done by common consent. We are That's the kind of church we are. It's harder to do when there are well over 10 million of you.
0: Yeah, that's true. But...
1: That's the idea. And I, I do think it's appropriate that we do that with Scripture. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as we make Scripture canon we are all agreeing that this is something we are responsible to know in a way that currently we're not responsible to know the Keenfall discourse. It's like the Apocrypha, right? Uh, God says the Apocrypha is full of good stuff, but you have other things to consider first. That's the canon. Yes and no. So,
0: gospel principles.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah, go on. Which is not canonized.
0: Which is not canonized. (laughs) But for a while, I taught gospel principles every week right when i was in yeah. the ward mission um, like maybe 10 15 years ago mm-hmm. right and one of my and my favorite lesson is chapter 47 it's exaltation right and here we go happy ending yep this is and yeah it is like the, on nearly the last chapter if no it's the last chapter right and here, quoting joseph smith taught quote quote it is the first principle of gospel to know for a certainty the character of god he was once a man like us, dot, dot, dot. Okay? And the citation, end quote. So the citation here is Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, Selections, Joseph, Milding, Joseph Fielding Smith, 1976. It's a pretty good book. 345 to 346. And if you look up the reference, it is the King Follett sermon. It
1: did sound very familiar.
0: Right? Here we have a citation of King Follett You know, in a lesson manual that we teach all the time. As doctrine, like this is what you need to know. Now you're a
1: new Latter-day Saint. This is the stuff you need to know to be a Latter-day Saint. Right. This is Mormonism. This is your. (laughs) This is. (laughs) So it's kind of it's. It's quasi-canon. It's
0: quasi-canon, and there's a lot of stuff like this, right? Sure. What like the General Conference addresses?
1: Yeah, they're quasi-canon for about six months. Yeah, depends on who said it. (laughs) Seventies, six months. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you're more well-spoken apostles, maybe as long as 10 years. But, yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, I, I think it's great. I think, in my, in my opinion, this sermon is as close to canon as you can get without actually having been voted on.
1: Yeah. Do you think we should vote on it?
0: Look, I actually think that that would be really cool if we did. I don't know that it's a requirement; it's not something I'd hinge my testimony on. No, but I would love to see it. I would, and if they did, I would, I would sustain it. Um, even if, you know, we have the Article of Faith that says we believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it is translated correctly. Yeah, right. This is directly relevant. We. Believe, essentially, you could rephrase that to say, We believe that the Bible is not translated correctly. <laughs> yeah.
1: But it's still the Word of God. I mean, but mostly. it's still
0: the Word of God, right? I mean, yeah. it's not quite, you can't quite do that, but essentially. And um, we could adopt this sermon in the same way. We believe that this is our best recollection of, recollection of what happened. Yeah and you should count it as gospel.
1: Well, and I think the most perfect book has its issues too, right? The book of, or the most correct book, excuse me. Book of Mormon. Yeah, the Book of Mormon. It also has issues. It's it's written by people, and yeah. we recognize that people fail. I mean, to give you one example, um, a lot of the stuff that Nephi received as revelations was then lost, and like Alma's like, I don't know about this stuff, and he prays about it, and he gets a revelation, and then he knows it, and he adjusts his teaching. The Book of Mormon, the, because because the Book of Mormon is stories about people, there's a lot of mistakes in them. Mm-hmm. Like, um, Nephi, also, speaking of Nephi, he spends a lot of time sort of propping up his political position. That's a big part of what he's doing in his writing. But he also spends a lot of time, like, being really sad about how things have turned out. And, like, they're complicated people, and everybody has an agenda, and, and you have to read Scripture. You, you need... To read Scripture well, it helps to have... The sort of training in literature that hopefully we all got in high school. Right. <laughs> if we were paying attention. Because, so it was up to you. Yeah. Because this is what scripture is. It is it is human texts, essentially. Even even the revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants are still filtered through Joseph Smith. And they still taste a bit like him. Maybe not as much as Keen Follett does, but
0: what is the difference Okay, so I would I would love to see this be canonized. Yeah, let's I'm, let's, I'm okay let's go farther that. afield. Tell me the difference between um a proclamation and a declaration.
1: Well, I think it's semantics, right? Um for some reason declaration is canon and proclamations aren't. Right. And why? I don't I don't really know. Um I mean, I remember I haven't heard it in a while, but maybe it's because I live in Berkeley, but for years and years after the proclamation on the family came out, I always heard rumors that it was going to be canonized. Uh Uh-huh. I don't think it will be, just because I think that church leadership is so conservative, they're really leery of canonizing anything. Um, But I just don't really see it happening. Um, And I think one of the reasons in this case is it's not supposed to be fresh doctrine. It's supposed to be a distillation of things that we already know.
0: Oh, the proclamation?
1: The proclamation on the family. Um, I do think that the the declarations are God publicly and you must pay attention to this. That's. Let me rephrase that. Um, The declarations are God publicly and in a way that requires us to pay attention is correcting the church. Sins we have committed. We committed the sin of polygamy and we committed the sin of institutional racism Mm -hmm. and God is like you need to stop and it is so important that you need to stop that I'm going to make you pay attention to this in the most visible way, which is to put in very small print in the back of the DNC. <laughs> but it is part
0: of the DNC! So. That's interesting phrasing that I, w- I wouldn't have used. Um, mm-hmm. I would have used the word sin for racism, but I don't know that I would have used this word f- sin for polygamy, even after our most recent mm-hmm. conversation about it. Maybe that's the right word to to use, though, for it. I think that would make that's some people... Arrived. That's. Um, mm-hmm. It would make some people, maybe even some people that are listening, pretty uncomfortable to use that Probably. word that way.
1: Yeah, uh huh.
0: But um,
1: I can't remember how much I trashed DNC one thirty two in previous episodes, <laughs> but but I yeah I I that's how I feel about it.
0: It's interesting. Um, here we have an article. Uh, this is called Proclamations, Declarations, Clarify, Reaffirm LDS Doctrine. It's from Deseret News, right? Church News, nineteen ninety nine. It's a quote of um, quoting a fellow named uh, Brother Brant. Brother Brant. Edward J. Brant, manager of the Correlation Evaluation Division of the Church's Correlation (laughs) Department.
1: (laughs) Are you sure you're not reading like some Mormon onion? This is not the sugar beet? This is not the beehive? Uh,
0: That's great. What he says is that um, he's quoting the encyclopedia of Mormonism. How do we feel about that book?
1: Um, I feel that it is... Solid scholarship um, Checked by Vigorous um, Conservative ecclesiastical authority (laughs) So I think it's reliable I think it's reliable and pretty safe
0: Okay Yeah so um, what he s- states that only a few of the declarations over the years has, have been labeled proclamations. Brother Brandt explained the difference between declarations and statements and proclamations. Declarations and statements are directed at the church membership, like you okay. said. All right, so the official declaration one on polygamy—, polygamy and number two on okay. um, blacks in the priesthood. I totally are, agree with this. Those are declarations yeah. that are this aimed is good. at church memberships. But proclamations are meant to reach beyond the scope of church membership. They yeah. are proclamations to the world.
1: Yeah, that's that's fair. How many proclamations have there been? Um, more than two. I know of the proclamations family and the living Christ, which I believe is also a proclamation. It is not. Oh, it's not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, there was a proclamation. oh, Joseph F. Smith had one, and it was about something awkward and weird. I think it was about, I think it was about race. Um, no, that, is that here. not a proclamation either? Mm-mm. Or maybe they just didn't want to listen to the church news in 1999. Five. Here are the first. Okay, the fir- let's let's hear him. Here Clearly, are I are. don't know what I'm okay. talking about. Proclamation of the first president
0: of the church to the saints scattered abroad, July 15th, 1841. Wait, that's not to the world. That's to
1: the saints. That's one of his data points. Mm-hmm. All right,
0: Brandt. This but this one's interesting because it's a direct response to one of the DNC sections. Okay. Okay. One of the DNC sections was to is a commandment to go make a proclamation <laughs> oh. about the church.
1: Okay. Wait, so is this proclamation to the same Oh that's one twenty four. Sorry.
0: So the first proclamation is all about like, you know, here's the church. This is about how we're doing. Um uh... It's really cool. It's and it's essentially by the first presidency at the time, which was Joseph Smith, Sidney Rigdon, and Iron Smith. Oh, okay. right. All right. So the second proclamation is this one about 124, which says, "Make a proclamation to the world that the church is, you know, the real deal." Okay. So it starts with, "To the, all the kings of the world, to the president of the United States of America, to the governors oh. of the several states, oh, and to I'll the rulers and all pe peop- and people of all nations."
1: That's right? cool.
0: It's really cool. Is this
1: also Joseph Smith era?
0: No, this is after the martyrdom, a few months okay. after the martyrdom.
1: So is this sent out by the Quorum of the Twelve?
0: It was. There was no first presidency. Interesting. Yeah. And so it says, open your churches and doors and so forth. And he says, the time is at hand for Jews to be gathered to Jerusalem, and we know it. And <laughs> Do it, there's know a, it uses this phrase a bunch of times. Like, we say then in life or death and bonds are free that the great God has spoken in this age. And we know it. That's awesome. That's in italics here. Is this, who it goes, wrote this? Do we know? Uh, I don't know who wrote it specifically, but it's from the the 12th.
1: That's really great. I'm, yeah. I want to read this.
0: The third one is just a minor correction saying um, uh, about the, what does it say? We know
1: those first seven things, but the eighth one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Essentially, the third proclamation says only, essentially, the prophet gets to make proclamations. Oh, from here on out. That must be Brigham Young. (laughs) That was uh, 1865. It was Brigham Young. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: (laughs) The fourth one was 1980. This
0: was the sesquicentennial. Oh, really? Yeah. It was made by, it was um, put together by President Kimball, and it was read by Gordon B. Hinckley from a house.
1: Oh, this is Uh, part of the weird. From Peter Whitmer's home.
0: And this was during of, conference. During conference.
1: Yeah. So, do you think that's the sort of special theme President Nelson has in mind for April? Well, this is the reason I'm bringing all this up. Oh, okay. Okay. I.
0: think do you think there's um, going to be a proclamation? Because I, I'm wondering if there's going to be a proclamation, right? This uh, President Nelson said that this year, the 2020, will be designated as a bicentennial year.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: General conference next April will be different from any previous conference. He says, read Re- Joseph Smith's first vision and things like that to prepare uh-huh. for. it. And if you do, it will not only be memorable, it will be unforgettable. So I think it would be really, really cool if we got another proclamation on that one. Yeah. Proclamation seems, five seems is like the guess. family. The family one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How do Interesting. Uh,
1: let's take a minute and talk about that. Uh, so I think a lot of people are sloppy about the terminology. I didn't realize it was so well-defined. It's well-defined. Uh, I mean, if we accept Brother Brandt at his word, um, it is a very well-defined thing, and... I didn't know that. The, pro- the uh,
0: proclamation on the family has not been canonized. No. But it and is a declaration. Have. None of those have been. Yeah. Well, how, what is your. What, let's take a minute and just talk a bit about the family um, a
1: declaration of okay. the world. Okay. Um, um, so I was at a Bay Area Mormon Studies Council um, meeting a couple years ago, and Melissa Inouye, I believe her name is, was speaking. She has a new book out. Um, it is uh, Being a Bald Asian Woman in the Church. It's a better title than that, but <laughs> something like a bald Asian woman in the church. We'll look it up and put in the links. <laughs> well, um, the, I have an article here that quotes her, so go oh, ahead, But keep okay. going. Yeah, and and one thing she said is because, there, you know, this is the Bay Area, and it's the Bay Area Mormon Studies Council, and there's a woman speaking, so there were a lot of Mormon feminists there, um, which... Um, I have some Mormon feminist things myself to say before we finish today. Mm-hmm. But something that came up in conversation was how a lot of um, American Mormon feminists are uncomfortable with the proclamation of the family and the way it defines gender roles and some of those things. And um, Melissa said something very interesting, which was that she would spent time, in, uh, for instance, in Africa. I have the quote. Oh, you have what she says. Okay, let's hear She cited
0: a family, the Proclamation of the World, and she says, um, today, some Americans see that as a very conservative document, right? Which I think is what you're saying. But for many heavily patriarchal cultures across the globe, this is a revolutionary document because it speaks of men and women being equal partners within the family. And here's the quote. The leaders of the church are between a rock and a hard place. In places where women are judges and politicians and doctors, if you don't do things fast enough, you look sexist and reactionary. But in other places where male and female roles are more rigidly separated, if you do it too fast, then you look immoral and westernized. That is why the doctrine This is why the doctrine of the church stays the same across the world, but cultural norms on the local level are important and differ.
1: Yeah, one of the things she said is that in Africa, church leadership uses this to um, prod husbands to treat their wives better, right? To, like, treat them as equals and let them have a voice. And and so it it is a weapons, maybe not the right word, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's it's a weapon of equality in places where um, our complaints seem rather short-sighted and um, complaining about good things. Um, which is not to say that, you know, everybody has reasonable complaints. Like, everybody's complaints are reasonable, um, or at least worthy of consideration. Um, but yeah, there are parts, places in the world where things are very, very unfair, and the family of the proclamation is a voice of that speaks towards equality and equal yoking.
0: It's almost radical in those places.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and um, that was a real... That really made me rethink it. I didn't have strong opinions about the family proclamation at that time, and I've heard a lot of... I hear a lot of opinions on this more liberal viewpoint that she mentions, um, and I'm sympathetic to those. But it's so easy for us to be myopic and and talk about, well, this is what the church is like in the Western United States, and this is where we see it should grow. Um, but you know, a lot of the church growth is happening in places like Africa and South America, and those are different cultures that have. Different needs, and they're progressing in different, place, different ways, and they have advanced beyond us in some measures, and they're behind us in other measures, and that's that's what happens when you have a worldwide church.
0: It is. A lot of people have a real issue with the family proclamation to the world because um, of LGBTQ issues, mm. and I think that we would be ill-served to just punt on that topic. And, well, it's on and our just list kinda, of topics. Kind of brush by it. Yeah. Um, We could
1: give it a whole episode.
0: Yeah. Um, At the moment, I just want to acknowledge that.
1: Yeah, we're not trying to brush anything aside. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, I mean, I'm not really sure what the right answer is here regarding this document. I remember when I first heard it, I remember Mm -hmm. it being read over the pulpit. I was in high school when it happened in 1995. And I remember being in awe at it at the time. But the fact is, I don't have, you know... I wasn't raised near any LGBTQ yeah. um, people. So it, none of that stuff struck me in any kind of way. Um, I was not very um, very aware of women's issues at all, right? And so mm-hmm. I saw language in there about family and love and equality and service towards each other. And I, and I loved it yeah. at the time. Nowadays, I can kind of look at it and see where it, why it makes, you know, a lot of, I don't know, some people and unha- some women un- unhappy, right? Because sure. of, it doesn't seem like it's supports this equality that I think that they're looking for nowadays.
1: To me, the most upsetting thing about the Family Proclamation and this issue we're talking about is that um, the Relief Society was blindsided by it. Mm-hmm. They weren't consulted in the writing of it. They didn't know it was happening just President Hinckley just read it at the Relief Society general meeting and they didn't they didn't know about it until immediately before they didn't have any input Mm -hmm. and to me um, and that gets to some of the other stuff I'd like to talk about in terms of what's canonized and what isn't okay I think I think that's a real mistake I think that's a so one of the tricky things about it being a restorationist gospel is We believe in ongoing revelation, and things should continue to get closer and closer to the way God imagines it to be. But at the same time, we're very beholden to our original charismatic leader, Joseph Smith, and part of what we do in modern restoration is try to get back to what Joseph Smith meant, meant. Um, which is why you and I love the King Follett discourse and want to make it more official, because we love what Joseph Smith did, and he is a great theological hero of every Latter-day Saint. Um, I mean, yes and no. I mean... You're right in what you're saying,
0: but also we believe in a living
1: we do, yeah, and I'm not trying to take away from that um I'm just saying that there's there's a bit of a tension there uh on the one hand joseph smith is is the great voice, and on the other hand, the greatest voice is the voice that's speaking now.
0: It reminds me of um constitutional scholars
1: to, right. be, on, to be honest yeah no it's it's actually a really great comparison yeah. absolutely
0: do what do we care about the founding fathers? Well, we really want to do what they meant, but you know they were it was like three hundred years ago,
1: yeah. I mean, originalists... I mean, uh, the classic example in my mind is um, An- uh, Antonin Scalia. Scalia? Is that, that sounds weird. <laughs> Did I say it right? Scalia? Scalia. Um, anyway, he... Uh, diehard originalist, right? Stick with what the founders meant. Don't do anything beyond... It. We should not legislate from the bench. That was his whole rhetoric. Yeah. And then 10 years ago, what does he do? He finds. Something that had never been in the Constitution before, and creates the individual right to bear arms that had never been part of the Constitution. It had been struck down by previous Supreme Courts, and then one day he finds it there. Like, and that's that's pretty typical. Like, I think originalism is—it's a nice phrase, right? It it makes you seem like you're closer to the truth, but I, we're all living in 2019. Every single one of us. None of us are more originalist than the other, which um, is why you should take with a grain of salt what I'm going to say next. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, speaking of the Relief Society being left out of this, um, uh, I'm reading right now the book David O. McKay and the Making of Modern Mormonism, which is an excellent book, which I highly recommend to everyone. Um, and I just finished the chapter recently on correlation. And that sort of bought into this idea that you hear sometimes that correlation was kind of a negative thing in a lot of ways. It, it weakened the Relief Society and the other auxiliaries. You want to say something? Well, just define it for us. Okay, so correlation is... Essentially, the process of taking all the bits of the church and bringing them under the auspices of the priesthood, by which we largely mean the Quorum of the Twelve and the First Presidency. It's
0: like during the 80s, right?
1: Uh, it, it actually goes back decades before that, Okay, but it really gets going under uh, David O. McKay. And then um, sort of, I would say it's more or less in it's modern form by the 80s. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, some of the more obvious respects or aspects of correlation are... Uh, we all study the same thing now, right? Sunday school is, Come Follow Me, is like the apotheosis of correlation because seminary and Sunday school and uh, Relief Society and the priesthood, like everybody's studying the exact same thing. Like that's correlation. We're all doing the same thing. There's We are all combined under the priesthood. There's no freedom in the auxiliaries anymore. Um, and maybe that was appropriate for the Sunday school um or the primary, but I am not sure it was with the Relief Society. Um, I'm going to share a couple things with you. Okay. Um, I'm taking all of this from an article by Fiona Givens, which we will link to. Okay. Um, so Joseph Smith. Earlier, I was talking. I mentioned how um, he involved other people in editing the revelations. That's information I took from this article also. Um, and essentially one of her theses is that over the course of his leadership Joseph Smith moved away from being an autocrat to being more of a collaborator. Over the course of his, of his prophetic mantle, the years of being the prophet, he moved away from autocracy and towards collaboration. Um, and it wasn't just about the men. Um, although, speaking of things that would be interesting to be canonized, although I don't think there's a written version of this revelation, um, tell me if you've heard this before i was not aware of this story until fiona told me a few years ago Um, one day this is i'm quoting here um the journal of abraham canon so this this is this is written decades after the event that happened one day the prophet um, joseph asked ebony Coltrane and Sidney Rigdon to accompany him into the woods to pray when they had reached a secluded spot, Joseph laid down on his back and stretched out his arms. He told the brethren to lie one on each arm and then shut their eyes. After they had prayed, he told them to open their eyes. They did so, and saw a brilliant light surrounding a pedestal which seemed to rest on the earth. They closed their eyes and again prayed. Then they saw on opening them the Father seated upon a throne. They prayed again, and on looking, saw the mother also. After praying and looking the fourth time, they saw the Savior added to the group. That would be a cool revelation. That's cool. Yeah, that would be a great one to have canonized. Yeah. But as far as I know, that's the closest thing we have to origin to um to the to the time, and that's decades after it. That's happened. too far. Yeah. Um. However, we have a lot of stuff from the Relief Society minutes um, about how Joseph organized the Relief Society. But by the way, as
0: an aside, this doesn't surprise me. If we step just thirty feet over there. And we open one of those filing cabinets here in the Berkeley Ward, and we pull out the documents. Right, you will find Relief Society minutes from 1936. Okay. Yeah. Detailed notes about you know about money and visiting, and it's it doesn't surprise me that yeah. the records that we have here are Relief Society oriented.
1: Yes. So this this these are not Vu Relief Society original Relief Society notes that I'm talking about. Um, Joseph Smith. Uh, told the sisters to meet me and a few of the brethren, and I will organize the sisters under the priesthood after the pattern of the priesthood. The Relief Society is organized like the priesthood is organized. Um, He said, Joseph Smith said, the keys of the kingdom are to be given to the sisters that they may be able to detect everything false as well as to the elders. Joseph Smith said, all must act in concert or nothing can be done the society the relief society should move according to the ancient priesthood Um, the society was to become a kingdom of priests as in enoch's day as in paul's day Um, joseph smith says um, in when joseph is called or excuse me when emma smith is called an elect lady um, it's clear from other documents from the period that an elect lady is essentially equivalent to being the first elder that joseph smith was it is an ordained calling Emma was ordained to be an elect lady, the elect lady. Um, And as such, she was elected in order to preside. She could preside as an elect lady. Um, The sisters were given some freedom in how they wanted to be organized. If any officers, Joseph Smith says, are wanted to carry out the designs of the institution, let them be appointed and set apart as deacons, teachers, et cetera, are among us. The sisters decided not to do it that way, Hmm. Um, but they had that opportunity if they wanted to. Um, Joseph Smith gave instructions inspecting, or excuse, Joseph Smith gave instructions respecting the different offices and the necessity of every individual acting in the sphere allotted her. Um, Joseph Smith gave a lecture on the priesthood showing how the sisters would come in possession of the privileges and blessings and gifts of the priesthood, etc, that signs should follow them, such as healing the sick and casting out devils. Um, he mentioned that Emma was ordained, as I just said, when that revelation was given, calling her an elect lady. Um, if there Emma Emma herself said if there ever was any authority on earth I had it and had it yet her understanding was she had a priesthood equivalent to Joseph Smith's Um, I could go on there are lots of quotations from the time period it is clear to me and granted I'm not an expert I'm really letting Fiona talk me into this Mm -hmm. um, but I think her evidence is really compelling and it makes sense with the way I understand Joseph Smith's theology and it makes sense according to the way he saw God, it makes sense that the women would be organized equivalently to the priesthood. Um, And that, to me, I think because none of that stuff was ever canonized, we've slowly forgotten it. It used to be that um, women gave blessings pretty regularly. That was a regular part of our church. And sisters kept writing to Salt Lake to ask if it was okay and ask if it was okay. It happened so often that the First Presidency put together a little form that said, Yes, it's okay. You can give blessings to the sick. Stop asking us. Mm-hmm. But eventually, if you ask for permission often enough, someone will say no. And eventually, someone said no and it dried up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think, and that's why I was talking about being an originalist in the Latter day Saint sense. Like, I feel like we are, in some ways, lost some of the grand ambition of the Restoration. Like, I wish some of that stuff was in the Doctrine and Covenants. It would make us much more challenging to some of those societies that find the Proclamation challenging. Yeah. But...
0: I'm really intrigued by what you're saying, because I have not heard any of this stuff before, right?
1: It's not well known, It's not well
0: known. And the idea of um, more formalized uh, Relief Society is something I find very compelling. I'm very interested in it. Um, If someday that happens in the future, Mm -hmm. right, uh, where things get reorganized in the church in such a way that these kind of things are common, um, we could look back at this and say that, um, you know, we were just being prepared and moved along until things happen, right? Yeah. I don't know if that's very satisfying, though. I think, I don't know what the answer is. I think that um, I'm really happy about the things that have been canonized. (laughs) Yeah. I think I agree with you that if more things had been canonized, maybe things would be different. Um, Yeah, and I'm just, I would love to know more about this.
1: Yeah, and a lot of the stuff that I'm proposing for canonization doesn't seem like an easy fit to me for the Doctrine and Covenants. With with only a couple exceptions, the Doctrine and Covenants really is "Thus saith the Lord." Yeah. Um, It seems to me, though, that this sort of miscellany is what the Pearl of Great Price was always about. I mean, Joseph Smith history. Let's add the other First Visions to it. Let's have a few more chapters. Um, We could have another section like um, additional canonized teachings of Joseph Smith, uh, or you know, and. There are interesting things, and not just Joseph Smith, right? Like, there are interesting and important revelations that have um, affected the church in large ways that we know have been written down and only really exist in records accessible to church leadership because um, that's just not what they were for. David O. McKay never wrote down his revelations, pretty much. Like, I, I I don't know why some revelations are canonized and some aren't. And this is where Philemon comes in, if you want to hear it now. Okay, sure. So I said everyone canonizes Philemon. It is the shortest of the Pauline epistles. It's one of the ones we're most sure Paul actually wrote. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really short. Okay. And it's kind of confusing. It -hmm. requires a lot of context we don't have to really understand what Paul's talking about. It's just a letter to some guy and some lady and some other guy, but he really only talks to one of the guys. And he's making a point about a slave, but... The question But what point he's making is pretty unclear. Why is it in the canon? Well, because we're pretty sure Paul wrote it, and it's pretty dang old, and we have it. One of the problems we have with a modern church is we have excellent records. If we canonized everything that was as important as the epistle to Philemon, the canon would be a gajillion pages long. <laughs> um, Although, to be fair, we, um,
0: I mean, this was... <laughs> Uh, this 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 uh, this letter this epistle, yes. right, right this was this was canonized by you know the Catholic Church, right a, speaking, yeah, a long 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 long, long time, time ago, ago yes. right, it's a different body of people,
1: sure, but they put it in the canon, yeah, they didn't put everything in the canon, but they mm-hmm. didn't have that much to choose from,
0: that's kind of what I'm getting at um i but I like your point, the point is that um something is perhaps would you say trivial is that the word you would use
1: well i actually like the epistle of Philemon. i think yeah. it's i think it's pretty intriguing and rewards a close read um but yeah it is kind of trivial yeah i think that's a fair thing to say
0: mm-hmm. if we have that in there why couldn't we have more it's just so uh, w- this isn't what the conclusion i thought we were going to come to when we started this conversation <laughs> right i thought we were going to talk about what's canon and what isn't and isn't that interesting but what i'm coming around to is that canonization as a process is something that we could m- use more often and it could be maybe beneficial to have more scripture right yeah. it's just it's just a button that we that the church hasn't pushed very often and the last time it was pushed was you know in 1978 and that was you know a sad reason to push the canonization yeah. button <laughs> i'd like to see some more joyous ones
1: yeah, I Excuse me. <clears throat> yeah, I totally feel that way. But on the other hand, I feel like adding to the canon suggests that I am worthy of that, that I know the canon as it is so well, mm-hmm. that I need more canon because I just can't know this canon any better.
0: Well, it's a fair point. I mean, this Come Follow Me um, curriculum that we have right now, which is great, really feels like a return even more to, you know, look, guys, you need to read the scriptures. Okay. Yeah. So please do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um I mean that is something that we always hear whenever whenever somebody asks a prophet, you know, why haven't we had more signs and revelations? Yeah. <laughs> the answer often is, you know, that we're just you know, we're not ready for it.
1: Yeah. Well do we really appreciate my father has this dream of still being alive when the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon is returned to Earth and translated, and he has in his mind, he's excited about that possibility. Um, and he has a quotation that I don't know who said it, um, that that will happen when we're ready for it, when we really know the Book of Mormon well enough that we deserve more. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the source is, I don't know how reliable that source is. Um, and then he says but we definitely don't mm-hmm. we don't know it that well and my dad loves the book of mormon in fact he avoids reading the book of mormon in some ways because once he starts it he can't stop he's he's probably be proud and he's got to finish it right mm-hmm. away he has the tapes running and he's worn out multiple 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 versions of the tapes and now he switched to cds and he's worn out more than one version of the cds because he just has the scriptures playing in his car all the time because he loves them um, mm-hmm. none of us know the scriptures well enough to demand more from god. Hmm. But it's y- yes, but the on the other
0: hand, it's also kind of a bit defeatist.
1: Yeah. No. <laughs> and and frankly, if that was god's requirement that we understand perfectly everything before he gives us anything else, like we'd yeah. still be waiting on the first vision.
0: I mean, look, I got to work for a living. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we don't get to be mo- we get our two years of monastery living, and then and that's only a couple hours in the morning. <laughs> yeah.
0: So yes, I think it'd be really cool to canonize some of these older things. Um, specifically, I would l- I'm interested in this Relief Society stuff. I think it'd be worth talking about, and I like the um, King Follett and his discourse. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth reading. Take a look if you haven't looked at it lately, because um, it really is stirring.
1: It's good, it's good stuff and, and I really like Joseph Smith and, and this helps us understand why people who were alive then liked him, like he has a personality, he's a cool dude.